Chapter 4. Reality. I wake to the taste of blood in my mouth. It disgusts me. The dream felt so real, so painfully real, and part of me wonders if it did happen. The wallet I saw in my dream looks at me. I remember it is not mine. It looks nothing like mine. I had mine stolen yesterday. I close my eyes and think. Try to clarify if last night was a dream. If that wallet is really there. If in fact it is my wallet. My thoughts are becoming frustratingly cyclical. I roll out of bed with a thud. I was closer to the edge than I had first thought. I crawl towards the wallet. Standing would be too much effort right now. I open it. It is definitely not mine. Gregory Jones is who this belongs to, and he belongs to the elsewhere now. This wallet is mine. I remove his cards and throw them into the bin, then toss the wallet onto the floor, towards my heaped clothing. My alarm bellows at me. It irritates the hell out of me, and yet it is for this reason that I keep it, as it is the only thing that can wake me up. I clutch at my left trainer and fling it towards my clock. It smashes against it, silencing it. The alarm means it is seven in the morning and reminds me I am working today, on a Saturday. I hate working weekends. Why did I let myself get talked into it? I stand gradually, my right knee still a little tender, and I'm still clothed from last night. I'm glad weekends are casual at work. I rummage through my wardrobe and select a shirt to wear over my stained vest. What a picture I must look. I grab a bag of crisps from the side, leave my room and stand in the hallway. The door slams shut behind me. My keys are in my wallet, as are the office keys, along with my money and my cards. That being so, how did I get in last night? I recall using a key. It was my spare key. I fumble in my back pocket. My spare key resides there. I'd better get to work. I will feel better after a few morning coffees. The journey to work on a Saturday is much the same as any other day. Roads busy with traffic, pedestrians getting in the way. It's unnatural how crowded and alive this place is first thing in the morning. I'm glad I don't drive. It would take me longer to get to work and I'm sure I'd be more stressed when I arrived. Walking to work opens my eyes to the world, passing the weird and wonderful people. I arrive at work without incident and rap on the huge glass doors and wave the security guard. Jeff gives me a nod and presses the button. Morning, Jeff. I bend to rub my knee, hoping gentle massage will help the ache. Morning. Rough light last night? He asks. I look at my reflection in the glass, bruising around my eyes and the bridge of my nose. Yeah. If he knew the truth, he wouldn't ask. As much as I want to brag, I know it'd be foolish to do so. I must keep my lips sealed. I make my way to the lift, which is already on the ground floor. I press the button and the doors instantly open, revealing David who attempts to make eye contact with me but fixates on what I think is my left ear. Good morning. Thirteenth floor. All said with his inviting smile. Yes, please, David. I realise rumour mill aside, I know nothing real about him. For all I know, he could just be a socially awkward man who enjoys ferrying people to and from their floors. There is no conversation, no small talk. I'm too tired. The lift whirs until we reach my floor. Thanks. I leave the lift and proceed through the double doors into the office. The doors weren't locked. Must have been left open by the cleaners. Good job too, since I lost my keys. I walk to my desk to see if I have been left a note. Nothing there, but the same junk I left there yesterday. Perhaps he has left me a message in his office. If he hasn't, it means I get to sit here and sleep. As ever, the blinds are closed, secretive, even when he isn't in. His door is slightly ajar. The cleaners are becoming sloppy with each day that passes. His office is as immaculate as ever. Everything has its place. All the pictures hung with such precision, some deliberately slightly tilted to give it that effect, whatever that effect is. 
Looking around the masterpiece reminds me how much I think I hate the boss. Hatred confused with envy, perhaps. An ensuite bathroom. That seems new. Hang on. He deliberately followed me into the toilets yesterday. What a wank. My spoken insult is cut short when I hear the ensuite toilet flush. I stop breathing, although I don't think that will help. Whoever is in there must have heard me. My heart thumps with every footstep I hear within the bathroom coming closer. The door opens slowly, creaking painfully. There's no escaping this one. Kevin, the janitor, looks as embarrassed and relieved as I feel. No dialogue at this juncture. A smile and a nod will suffice. He hurries out of the office, grabbing his polish and duster nervously. Poor guy, he might need to wipe again. I fall back into the comfy leather chair, throw up my feet on the desk, close my eyes and breathe as deeply as I can through my broken nose. The phone rings before I can begin to relax. I'd love to ignore it, but it patches the call straight through to the headset, which isn't yet on my head. I scramble for the earpiece and mic. Good morning, you are through to Softcorp. How can I help you? I know it's probably not a client, but I can't help but go into autopilot and spout my usual telephone spiel. My God, Randall, is that you? I have my response and had accurately guessed my mystery caller. Who else would it be? I reply, but he doesn't even acknowledge. So, I need to have the quarterly projection ready by Monday, and there are a few things missing, so you can get on with that for me while you are there. Shouldn't be too much hassle. If that was true, why didn't he do it? Oh, also, if my wife calls, tell her I'm in the john or something, and tell her I will call her back. Then call me on my mobile, and I will get back to her. I don't want to, but it's not worth losing my job over. It's not the best paid job in the world, but it's probably the most I could get anywhere. Sure, what? Before I can finish, he hangs up, and I find myself talking to a vacant line. It doesn't take me long to break the calm and get down to work. The laptop hums noisily as it fires up, and the operating software chimes as it starts. It prompts me for a password. I enter his wife's name. No luck. His adored sports car. Denied once more. One last attempt before I called him. Chloe gets me in. The name of the woman I thought he might be having an affair with. I guess that thought is confirmed. Luckily, or deliberately more aptly, the file he wants me to work on sits on his desktop. The data is diverse and in no particular order. Within a few minutes I have it realigned, redefined and redesigned. The missing data is easy to locate when I reveal the hidden worksheet containing all the automated formula. A secret which I would never share. It's my shortcut. They'll never know how long it truly takes. Completed projection within only a few minutes, saving me hours of trawling through spreadsheets. And now I can waste the rest of the day, but I know I can't leave the office in case he phones. Or his wife does. I need to do something to help reduce the hours, so I lock the door, comfortably arrange the headset, and make my way into the ensuite to offload. Unfortunately, it still has the fragrance of a certain janitor, so I only stop to spend a penny. I find myself back at my desk, in an office with locked doors, closed blinds, and the infinite wisdom and wonders of the internet. I don't need much convincing of the action to follow, and before I know it, I'm browsing the latest additions to stacyandme.com. I find a picture which I can't quite make out, realising it is zoomed in. I start to bring the full picture into play. Suddenly the phone rings, and due to the infernal headset, it is answered automatically. Why the hell aren't you at home? says the female voice in my ear. Mrs Wright? I question. Oh, sorry. Can I speak to my husband, please? She adjusts her tone to sound friendlier, but still vexed. Sure. Hang on a sec. I pause and hold my breath for a few moments. Can I get him to call you back? I respond with what I think is quick thinking. Don't lie to me. He's not there, is he? You are covering for him, aren't you? I was less convincing than I thought. I'm not lying to you, Mrs Wright. I think he's in the toilet. Why am I so afraid to say he is taking a crap or he is shitting? 
It won't work. You won't convince me. I know he is with her. It's clear she knows, but I have to continue my charade. I will get him to call you when he gets out. She hangs up. I quickly search for the boss's mobile number. It's listed under his own name. Surely you'd have it under M for me. I don't have time for this thought process. I'm wasting time. I hurriedly finger the numbers onto the keypad and hit dial. You have reached the answer phone for zero seven eight. It dawns on me that I've never checked if the phone number given by the automated voice matches the number I'm calling. Please leave a message after the tone. Hi, your wife just called and I couldn't convince her you were in the toilet. I tried my best, but she wasn't listening to a word I said. I don't know what else to say. So there is an awkward pause and then I hang up. I can't do any more now. I've lost my horn, so to speak, so I think I will amuse myself looking at online auctions at things I will never bid on, but things I can't help but be drawn to. Like Harley Davidson's. I can't even drive a car, let alone ride a motorbike. A portable media player, which I know I'd use for a couple of weeks and then tire of. Or a giant beanbag, which is more fun than practical. Despite these realisations, I look anyway, amazing myself at how low the bid started, how low some of them remain, and how ridiculously high other items are. I'm also amused at the people who think adding the word rare will help a sale, and perhaps it does. I glance at the digital clock in the corner of the screen. Pleasantly, but surprisingly, it has gone noon. I have spent just over an hour sat here and achieved nothing, so it's time to order in some lunch. I visit juicedup.com and place my order for delivery. I wait in anticipation for my tuna salad baguette and bottle of Dr Pepper. My anticipation is quashed by the turning of the handle. I proceed to the door, hoping it isn't the boss. As soon as I turn the key and unlock, the door is thrust towards me, slamming into my ribs and knocking me to the floor. Where is he? Mrs Wright bellows as she storms towards the ensuite and peers in. He has popped out. I struggle to find the words through laboured breaths. I swear I can feel my cracked ribs scratching at my insides. Where? She isn't going to give up without a fight. He had to meet a client. I pause, brain struggling for words. I forgot to pass on your message. Panic and pain working in beautiful harmony. I begin running different excuses through my head, but before I have a chance to vocalise them, she bursts into tears. I pull myself up with the help of a nearby coffee table. Now stood, she plods towards me and buries her head into my shoulder. I place an arm around her. Awkward doesn't begin to explain how I feel. The pain becomes excruciating as she holds me tight, her weeping subsiding slightly. One of her hands slides down my chest, over one of my bruised ribs. I flinch and breathe sharply through my teeth. Are you okay? She sounds genuine as she lifts my shirt and vest to reveal my bruised torso. I can see the concerned look on her face, but she doesn't turn away. Instead, she begins to slowly stroke my chest. Her gentle caressing stirs something which is not welcome in this situation, at least not by me. I can feel something else throbbing now, and although I don't look down, I can feel it rising. Her hand slides down from my chest, then ribs, and onto my belt buckle. The feeling is electric. My heart races faster than before, but for very different reasons. I know I should stop her, but I'm not going to. The pain is still there, but the pleasure is taking over. She unbuckles my belt, unbuttons my jeans, grabs a zipper between her thumb and index finger, and slowly pulls it down. She unhooks my jeans and boxers from that which now holds them up, and she lowers them to the floor. I find myself staring at a picture of Mr Wright, feeling a spurt of momentary guilt, but shrugging it off as I close my eyes. The moment takes a turn for the worst as I hear the lift ping. Someone's coming, I announce. Who cares? It's only going to be him. Maybe this will make him take notice, she retorts. Are you crazy? I will lose my job, I respond, attempting to pull away. Maybe you should have thought of that earlier. She has a point, but I haven't time to end this debate. I squat to high-cut my jeans, but as I do so, she catches me off balance and pushes me onto my back, 
cracking my head on the same coffee table that aided me previously. She climbs on top of me, pinning me down. Out of the corner of my eye, the door moves. Hello? A timid voice calls as the door continues to open. The familiar voice is followed by a familiar face that pokes around the corner. I'll just leave it out here. Sean from the local juiced-up sandwich shop, pulls the door closed. I let out a relieved chuckle. I try to stand, but she doesn't seem keen on moving. You better not charge that to the company. Panic resumes thanks to the slightly raised voice of Mr Wright just outside the office. With an array of thoughts running through my mind, I choose the only one that makes some kind of sense. I launch my near lover off of my stomach and make a mad dash to hide under the desk. As I cower, realising how stupid this whole situation is, I try to slow my breathing and tuck myself into the smallest human ball possible. What are you doing here, Cupcake? Cupcake? What is she, a light fluffy snack? You know I hate it when you work all weekend. I get bored at home. Where's her anger? Where's Randall? Who cares? Fortunately, for me, Mr Wright didn't mention my name after that. Unfortunately, for me, I had to witness all manners of noises as the couple made love against the desk. It was a wonder I didn't scream as the antique oak kept slamming into me. Luckily, the boss had the stamina of a hummingbird and the physical and emotional pain was over quickly. After ten minutes of awkward dialogue and sloppy sounding kisses, the couple leave the office. I roll out from under the desk, stretch out my arms and legs and let out a groan which continues to cause discomfort. While I'm relatively confident that the smell of sex that seems to plague my nostrils is purely in my head, it's not comforting in any way. Although I'm perfectly capable of standing, it seems more appropriate to crawl towards the chair, haul myself up and slump into its leathery embrace. Its embrace feels good. I prepare the report to automatically send around 4pm to give the impression that I worked hard on it up until the end of the non-working day and claim the unworked overtime. I don't want to go home for there is nothing waiting there for me except loneliness and cleaning, both for which I don't have time for. That is, of course, a lie. I have plenty of time for them. I choose to put them off, hoping somehow they'll both sort themselves out. I'm wasting time at work thinking. I could think while I'm walking away from the building. I pack up and within minutes I'm stood outside of the building breathing in the fresh air. There is a cold and welcome breeze. With no destination in mind, I walk, hands in my pockets, eyes bouncing around at the sights around me. Where was I? I mutter aloud. Oh, that's right. I chortle, acknowledging that I'm talking to myself. I remember. I've been stumbling through life for a long time now. I've a career I don't care about and have been in too long. I live on my own in a small, uncomfortable flat. I love infrequently, yet I complain about being single. I'm not sure I want to be a double. I'm not dreadfully unhappy, but I'm not overjoyed either. The thought of continuing at this pace is draining. I want to change, but want not to implement change. Internal rambling is getting me nowhere fast, although I've been walking for a while now and find myself by Hutton Lake. I peer in and see nothing but my reflection. I see my tired, bruised face and smile. My mood is suddenly elevated. I recall the memories of last night. Not the pain received, but the pain dealt out. Not the guilt causing harm or doing wrong, but the pleasure of reacting and standing up for myself and someone else. They deserved it. I took the life of another, but I didn't do it deliberately. I hadn't intended to kill him, just to hurt him, to stop him hurting her. I'm lying to myself. At first my motivations were for her, then they evolved to my desire. I wonder if it would feel different if I intended to kill someone, if there was motive and purpose, if the goal was their death. My guess is that by now a normal person would have stopped this thought process. But while I feel normal at work and at home, I felt far from that last night and right now. Of course, I can't comment on what I don't know. Do you really ever know what other people think? Is the old lady sauntering with her shopping bags in front of me, wondering if she could drown her husband in the lake by weighing him down with potatoes? 
If I can think this, then so can everyone else, right? My mind moves on. How would I do it? Would I leave the corpse or try to dispose of it? Would I attempt to give myself an alibi? These questions pose more thought, and yet, unfortunately, in my non-premeditated skirmish last night, I had not the presence of this thought process. I left the corpse behind, with my DNA on it, and around it, and I have no alibi. It's getting to me now. I've stopped strolling along the lake, and it's becoming much more real. What the hell should I do? Go home and pretend nothing happened and hope that it'll go away? Stay away for a few days or weeks? But will that draw suspicion to me? If I wanted to cover it up, I wouldn't know where to start. I don't have any friends in the police that could do some digging for me. No friends in the media that give me insight into an investigation. There are too many witnesses that could draw attention to me. The youths, the bar staff, bouncers, his girlfriend, any number of people I passed on the way to work, anyone at work, and anyone I've seen while walking away now. Whatever I do, I need to get away from further witnesses. Sweat drips from my forehead. I feel thirsty and nauseous. I'm panicked. I need to get home, and quickly.